Hey now, you are listening to the Always Be Watching podcast. My name is Dan Barrett. This week, I'm without my co-host, Chris Yates, my good friend. The two of us usually we sit here and discuss the TV shows that we've been watching throughout the week, share ideas of interesting things that each other might be interested in checking out, and just try to give a bit of an um, overview to some of the interesting things that are out there. The shows and movies we discuss aren't necessarily the newest things out there, although they quite often are, but really it's just interesting things that we've just come across on various streaming platforms or on broadcast TV that we just kind of want to share and uh, just give some good viewing suggestions about. Now this week, because I am flying solo, this is not going to be a standard 25 to 55 minute podcast. We vary a fair bit on this here show. Instead, I'm just going to be here for a couple of minutes and just talk about a few of the things I've been watching that, you know, you've got a weekend ahead of you. Maybe you just want to sit down and watch some pretty good TV. Now, the first thing I'm going to lead off with is actually a movie currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video, and that's in the Australian um, store, if you can call it that, as well as in the US. Brittany Runs a Marathon stars Gillian Bell. People would know her from things like Workaholics, uh, but she's been in a whole bunch of things. Uh, she had a cameo in the Paul Thomas Anderson film The Master, so she's suddenly been around. Uh, the 21 Jump Street film is probably, or was she in 22 Jump Street? I can't remember. 22 Jump Street. I'll go with that. Uh, People know Gillian Bell by face, if not by name at this point. This is one of these roles where she's taken the role in a small indie film. She's the star of the movie. She absolutely carries the film. I've always thought she was a bit of a talent, but in this film, like, my God, she is absolutely a star that needs to be really um, harnessed in some sort of a way. I I don't know exactly what you do, but she's very much got the on-screen career... She should very much have the on-screen career that maybe Amy Schumer has at the moment. Um, She's just really good. And I mention Amy Schumer only because they've got like a bit of a similar look and similar build, I guess. Uh, Beyond that, that's a pretty superficial uh, sort of way to really compare the two. They're nothing alike, really. Although I guess they've got a bit of crude humor sort of side of what they do. I don't know. I'm in a hole. I'm digging myself out right now. Anyway, this is a film. It's written and directed by one guy named Paul Downs Colizio? Colizio? Gosh, I should be better with an Italian name. Anyway, uh, essentially the entire premise of the movie is, and you've heard the story before, it's very much in a way that it's presented that makes this film sing. It's about this young woman, she is overweight, she is finding that career-wise she's not really getting where she wants to go. Uh, Her relationships with friends, and you know, she definitely doesn't have like a love uh, relationship in her life at all. Like, things are just going nowhere for her. She feels stagnant. She's very late 20s and knows that she needs to make some sort of change in her life. Admittedly, when the film opens, she doesn't quite realize that. But, you know, five minutes in, she's like, you know what? Something's got to change. Now, she, like a lot of people, uh, the idea of physical exercise is not really something that sort of enters her realm of um, day-to-day existence. But because she's in just this terrible position in life, she sees this as an opportunity to do something. And so she starts running. So she runs the first day and it's completely horrible and the worst thing in the world. But then the next day is a little bit easier and keeps on getting easier and becomes a big part of her life. As she's running, she's losing weight. She's uh, finding a bit more perspective on who she is and who she wants to be. And she just starts to get various aspects of her life in control. And that's all the film is. Like, it is just absolutely a woman coming to terms with who she is in life and who she actually wants to be in life and how she wants to present herself to the world. Very simple story. Uh, it's an incredibly sort of simply told thing as well. You've seen a story before, but there's something very much about the presence of Gillian Bell and her co like her co stars as well. Uh, Michaela Watkins is in there uh, quite prominently. 
Uh, there's this really interesting guy, and I'm scrolling through IMDb furiously right now, trying to think of the name of the actor here. Uh, okay, so the actor's name is, and as bad as I am with Italian names, I'm going to terribly butcher this Indian name as well, um, Akush uh, Ambutkar. Uh, he plays this character, called, character named Jern, who, much like the Gillian Bell character, the titular Brittany, uh, he's maybe a little bit direction in life and has a lot of potential, but he never really quite sort of achieves it because he's a bit of a lazy guy. Now, the film, it's her story, it's not his. And by the end of the film, it's not like he's really gone on a journey with her by any chance. He's almost just as lazy, but by the end of the film, he's shown a little bit of growth as well because he lived life not really wanting to connect to anyone. But as Brittany, I guess, maybe has entered his world and inspired him somewhat, he's fallen in love with that. So, like, there's very much this sort of adorable, cute love story running through it as well. And he plays a big sort of role in that. For fans of Lil Rel Howery, I don't even know how to say that out loud. I am shocking today. Shocking. Uh, He's a comedian. You've probably seen him in Get Out. He was in the Carmichael show. I really like that guy. He had a terrible sitcom recently. I want to say it was called Rel, which was cancelled after one season on Fox. Not a great show. I think his talents could be better used. Uh, he's got a fairly small supporting role in this as well. And, you know, he's always a very welcome presence anytime he's on screen. Uh, but anyway, if you're just after a very simple film to get through your weekend afternoon, you will love this film. I think it is so charming. I was completely smitten with it. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, it's called Britney Runs a Marathon, currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. And this is one of these films where the company thought, let's drop it in cinemas for a couple of weeks and then drop it on the streaming platform. So there's a good chance if you are hanging out in like an indie cinema, like a Dendi in Australia, for example, it may even still be playing in some uh, places. So you can see it on a big screen, watch it on a small screen. You're going to have a good time with it regardless what way you want to go with it. But of course, if you've got an Amazon Prime subscription, I don't know why you'd leave the couch. Heaven forbid. Uh, two other quick things that I've watched recently. Um, I kind of got hooked into the TV show, uh, The Toys That Made Us. Uh, this is a show where I think it's about four or five episodes for the three season, four or five episodes each season over three seasons, and each show they look at a beloved toy from years gone by. So a few months ago, I know I watched one of the episodes about the He-Man toys from the mid '80s. I was never a He-Man guy, but I was always kind of He-Man curious. So it was kind of an interesting insight into the production and the way that storytelling plays a role in creating the existence of these characters. So think about He-Man as an example. Essentially, someone came up with the idea of, hey, here's this thing called He-Man. How do we create a world around this character with a whole bunch of other toys that we can also sell that make sense within this world? Also, we probably want to sell this as a Saturday morning cartoon. We maybe want to turn this into a feature film. How did they actually go through that phase of the world creation around a toy line in order to facilitate these things? He-Man is interesting because it was at the very beginning of thinking about toy properties in that way. And so kind of pioneered a lot of the, you know, um, the practices that you started seeing with toy lines after that. Uh, He-Man, it was incredibly fascinating. But the thing that got me watching it this week is, and as a child of the late 80s, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, huge part of my childhood. And I've got an episode, which is a fantastic episode, looking at the creation of the TMNT line. So it talks about, it's primarily focused on the toys. But obviously the toys then fed into the animated series and then fed into the uh, independent film that they made. But what's kind of interesting with this story is that they took all the lessons from He-Man, applied it to TMNT, even if they weren't actively thinking about that. But, you know, it's just kind of practices in the industry by that point. But at the very center of it, you've got the fact that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't begin as an idea to create a toy line. 
It was an independent comic book series. So I got these two guys, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman, who were just everyday dudes who thought, you know, we like comics, let's try to create comics. And they were publishing stuff, not really getting any traction until they just had this really dumb night where they were drawing turtles dressed as ninjas and thought, let's do this as a small press indie comic, print it up. I think off the top of my head, it was like 8,000 copies or something. I don't think it's even that many. 800? That makes more sense to me. Anyway, dropped it off some local comic book stores, sold out a whole bunch of them, and they were able to build it from the ground up and then caught the attention of a guy that was looking for a toy property. So you've got these two guys who went from absolute obscurity to suddenly being in control of the biggest toy franchise in the world for a good five to ten years there. Now, they were pretty smart about it, where they maintained certain levels of ownership and rights over the characters. So all the money that was generated from Ninja Turtles, a lot of it flowed into the back pockets of these guys. Uh, their relationship ended up falling apart from the stress of it all. Uh, but one of the like really touching moments in this uh, hour-long doco is just seeing the two of them reunited at the end, and they haven't spoken for years, but, you know, because of this documentary, they got together and, you know, had a bit of a chat. So it was just really nice seeing the two of them on screen together. And it was weird for me as someone who grew up watching the Ninja Turtles. I've read a bunch of their comic books as well as comics written by other um, artists and writers. So I'm very, like, well-versed in Ninja Turtles. But admittedly, until I watched this doco, I don't think I'd ever heard either of them talk. So it was actually sort of really... Like, I, I thought it was incredibly warm to see the two of them reunited. But also, I mean, I had no prior relationship with them as human beings other than as names and creators. So, I don't know, it was... There's obviously going to be a false sense of emotion that a viewer comes to a documentary with, where you suddenly feel really invested in, you know, the journey that the people in a documentary have gone on, even though you don't really have any sort of prior relationship building with them, and your only experience is often through the one documentary you're watching. Speaks, I guess, maybe the power of documentary. Anyway, if you've got even a passing interest in the Ninja Turtles, I think it's probably well worth a look. But also, if you're just kind of interested in, as I am, capitalism and the way that storytelling often uh, is both co-opted by capitalism as well, can be strengthened. And a lot of the things that we love in the world isn't necessarily through the actual concept and the creative vision of it, but really it's about the branding of it. And all of us fall, like all of us are susceptible to that. Um, I'm very excited about the upcoming Star Wars movie. I don't know if I'm necessarily a wild Star Wars fan. And like, I love Star Wars. But also, I don't know if it's because of the storytelling in it, or it's because it's just this big cultural phenomenon that's been a part of my life since I came out of the womb. I have no idea. But anyway, Star Wars is an integral part of my life, and a big part of that is probably because of the branding, because I am no better than anyone else. And nor are you. Don't you think you're better than me? Okay, two things you should check out. So that was The Toys That Made Us, and Brittany Runs a Marathon. The thing you don't need me to sell you on, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway, This weekend, Netflix debuts the Martin Scorsese film The Irishman. Uh, If you are unfamiliar with the movie The Irishman, this is a film, it's a big budget Scorsese film, a couple of hundred million dollars spent on it. You've got Pacino, you've got um, De Niro in there, a little guy named Joe Pesci. I don't know how you can go past that, quite frankly. There's a thing with Scorsese, and Scorsese's obviously been in the news a fair bit with the whole Marvel business. But when people think about Scorsese, and this is really tied into that Marvel sort of conversation that's happening, people think about Scorsese as a guy that makes films about mobsters, and that seems to be the lane that everyone just thinks about Scorsese in, despite the fact that that probably accounts for maybe a third of his overall output. He's a much broader, very diverse filmmaker than people really give him credit for, but the iconic Scorsese movies are these gangster films. 
Now, this is very much uh, gangster adjacent, is probably the way to consider it. It's a gangster movie, but like the rest of his films, it's never really about gangsters as much as it's about family and various other relationships happening within that. This is very much that. I don't want to tell you what the movie's actually about, because I didn't know when I sat down for it, and there's a great sense of discovery that can come with the film. Because it is Scorsese treading sort of waters that he has trod previously, people kind of know what they're in for, and I think that the one thing that can really surprise is what that story actually is. So maybe just go into it as fresh as you can, and I think you can have a good time with it. I don't think it's one of the best Scorsese films. I think there's at least a good sort of 10 to 15 films that are ahead of the Irishman in his filmography. But it is a very good movie because it's Scorsese and he is one of the cinema masters. You will... Okay, here's the problem. I saw it in the cinema and it runs for, I think, close to three hours-ish. I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's been a couple of weeks since I've actually seen this. So anyway, it's it's a long movie and to sit through it in the cinema... I was never bored during it. I did have to get up to go to the bathroom, but that was purely because the blood I needed to go. It wasn't necessarily because I was getting bored at any point through it. Great cinema film. On the couch, I think people are going to struggle a little bit. People sit on the couch and watch three or four episodes of any given Netflix show. So people are used to sitting on the couch for the length of time it'll take for an Irishman. But at the same time, there's a thing about a movie where you see a movie runtime, it's like, ugh, three hours. Hey, I'm going to watch seven episodes of Stranger Things. It's, you know, there's definitely a spirit of economy that one has when they're deciding what they're going to watch on the couch. Netflix has put this out as a three-hour movie. I think it would probably have been better served as a short-run miniseries of three episodes. And the actual film itself, it's a little bit episodic. There's people would argue with that, but I think that there is definitely an episodic nature to what they're doing with the film. And it could probably be split into two to three parts quite comfortably. But it is a movie, it's a Scorsese movie made for Netflix it's worth your time. I would maybe not necessarily base your entire day around it because one, it's not his greatest film by a long stretch. And also I think that there's just that struggle aspect. But if you're sitting on the couch, I think you could fall into this three-hour movie quite comfortably and you won't notice the runtime so much as realize that, hey, wait a sec, I was supposed to start cooking dinner for the family an hour ago. It's really fascinating to think that this summer... Uh, Star Wars aside, really the biggest films that people are going to be talking about are going to be Netflix movies. You've got this film, you've got Noah Baumbach's uh, Marriage Story, which is another big indie film. But like, if indie films aren't really a thing, if you're a commercial person by heart, and there's no shame in that, but you know, definitely vary the sort of movies you watch, I say, you know, there's going to be a Michael Bay movie coming out in the next couple of months as well on Netflix. So like these big budget action films as well as indie films you know, they're all kind of on Netflix these days. Like, this season of movies, like, over the summer period, I think is probably, like, that line in the sand where we're actually seeing that crossover take place from traditional, I'm going to see the biggest movies in a cinema, to I'm going to see the biggest movies streaming in my lounge room. It just kind of feels like this is the moment upon us. Anyway, check out The Irishman, it's quite good. Also, Britney runs a marathon, which is over on Amazon Prime, and I mentioned the toys that shaped us. And that's currently streaming on Netflix. Um, So anyway, a bunch of good things to watch on your TV. If you've enjoyed this podcast, usually I have a co-host. Usually it's less of me just blurting out words into a microphone. I mean, it's always me blurting out words into a microphone, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, Usually I've got a co-host, Chris Yates. Uh, The two of us have similar but also diverse interests. So it's not just me. Uh, So check out the podcast regularly. It's alwaysbewatching.com if you want to find us on the web. Um, I do a sister companion podcast these days called Disney Plus Dan, 
and it's me by myself, much like this podcast. But unlike this podcast, where I'm just, you know, essentially it's a thought vomit into a microphone, it's a little bit better planned. It's me, I sit down, I watch a movie streaming on the Disney Plus platform. It's usually something from years gone by that I've possibly never seen before or saw when I was a little kid. And it's me just offering my thoughts on a Disney Plus movie. Um, I keep those podcasts to under 10 minutes. They're less rambly, more coherent, and also they're a lot more focused on like fun, ridiculous movies from the Disney Plus catalogue. So check that out. Anyway, guys, this has been Always Be Watching. My name, Dan Barrett. I will be back with Chris Yates next week, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, we'll catch you then. Uh, No flipping.